Hi, I'm Katrina Ingram. Welcome to Back to School Again, the show for midlife learners. This season, we're pleased to partner with Athabasca University as we take our show production fully online. Athabasca University is celebrating 50 years as Canada's online university. On this show, we talk with midlife learners about their educational journeys, sharing their stories about how they are balancing the demands of school, work, and family, and where they hope their educational pursuits will take them. How do you stay motivated to complete your research when the world is falling apart? That's the question we're going to explore today with my guests. But first, some context. Regular listeners will know that I'm in my final year of Master's in Communications and Technology at the University of Alberta, otherwise known as the MACT program. It's a two-year part-time blended program, which means we have both online courses as well as some in-person courses. In addition to our coursework, we undertake a major research project. We choose a topic, we find a supervisor, conduct a literature review, design our research study, do the research itself, and then write a fairly lengthy paper as our final project. It's typically a six to eight month process, but there has been nothing typical about the last six months. Just as most of us were about to start our research, the whole world went into lockdown. This meant making not only some very practical adjustments to our research projects, but also navigating the psychological impact of trying to stay focused on delivering a major piece of academic work while navigating many changes in our daily lives and all of the stresses that come with a global pandemic. I'm joined today by two of my MACT colleagues to talk about how COVID-19 has impacted our academic journeys. Jane Duffy is a librarian with McEwen University, Listeners might remember her from our very first episode in 2018, where we talked about our experiences with the MAC Spring Institute. And I'm also joined by Cedric Cordero. Cedric is an international student from the Philippines. His professional background is corporate communications and marketing, and he produces communications content for various companies as a freelancer. He's incredibly active on social media, and he teaches hip-hop dance, which we are definitely going to talk about. Welcome, Jane and Cedric. Thank you, Katrina. So let's um, let me take you guys back to last fall. We were all enrolled in a course called Advanced Seminar in Research Design, and it really could have been called How to Write a Literature Review because that was the key outcome. So the purpose of this course was to set us up for our research. Um, and I want to start with you, Jane. Can you give us a brief overview of what your literature re- review was about, as well as your research question coming out of that course? Certainly, Katrina. Thank you. I was researching uh, various pieces of academic literature that treated how students uh, evaluate professors at the end of the year. There's a common practice of uh, doing an online evaluation, and there are typically many complaints about these evaluations, um, either that they don't measure what they say they'll measure or that uh, there are some undue influences or biases uh, in play when, uh, when the evaluation time comes around. So what I did was I looked at literature uh, so that I could set up a, a test of the accuracy of current models of university student evaluations of teaching excellence. My research asks the question whether these tests measure what they say they measure. 
That is, uh, do they measure the degree to which uh, student evaluations of teaching excellence are measuring excellence? I believe that the students are influenced in the assessments of their instructors by sometimes variables that have nothing to do with what is usually understood as teaching excellence. As a result, then, the evaluations yield inaccurate assessments sometimes of an instructor's teaching effectiveness. What happens sometimes in these situations if uh, a professor is um, un unjustly evaluated or unfairly or, you know, it was a bad day for the students to take the test, that can have an impact on the professor's promotion and tenure. Um, right. So my hypothesis is that if students are aware in advance of what normatively uh, constitutes teaching excellence, their evaluation of their, of their professor's instructional effectiveness will be more accurate. Interesting, Jane. And that sounds like it has some really practical um, application for, for us as students and also for, um, for instructors as well. Cedric, how about yourself? Can you walk us through a little bit about uh, your literature review and what question you had back in the fall of last year? Uh, so, yeah, actually, thank you so much for having me invited for this interview. I am very honored to be a part of your podcast. So last year, I was able to um, organize the set of literature review that I'm supposed to use for my capstone project. Aside from organizing the literature review, um, the main research question changed a lot starting from the previous Spring Institute and what really helped me from gathering those set of literature review from our advanced seminar course was that to tailor fit the research question that's really contextualizing what I really wanted to find out. And what, what was your question? Tell me, give me the elevator pitch of your research. Uh, my research question is um, about discovering and exploring the digital signage experience in a particular healthcare waiting setting. Uh, for the listeners, digital signage technology are the TV-like screens that we see everywhere. These are like the digital boards we see in a mall setting, um, in a train station, and bus stops. Healthcare setting in particular has been using it, but the specific functions of that platform are pretty dynamic, I would say. And in a healthcare context, there's a variety of waiting environment, including emergency rooms, um, consultation desks. That means to say that the function of the digital signage itself can vary from one healthcare setting to another. Very interesting. And, and we're going to dig into that a little bit more. Um, and I'll just share that um, I was a bit of a mess last fall. Um, I went into the course not really knowing what I wanted to do and still kind of dancing around this idea of having a research question. And I was pretty much halfway through the course when I had to land on something. And so I chose to focus on the domain of healthcare in order to really help me out with my literature review. 
And it turned out to be really um, fortuitous at the end of the day, um, because I was able to to take a lot of um, what I read and, and apply it to the situation that we find ourselves in. So my research is centered around this um, domain of healthcare and looking at artificial intelligence and ethics and really how we can apply ethics or how, art, how AI researchers can apply ethics in going about their work um, in building healthcare applications in AI systems. So that's kind of where I landed at the end of that course. Now, I want to um, kind of fast forward a little bit to the early part of this year. So I want to talk about our life pre-COVID. So January and February, we were all living our lives um, the, the normal way um, before COVID hit. And I want to get a sense of what was going on for you um, at that time from a research context. So Cedric, maybe I'll start with you. If you can tell us a bit about what you were working on in the first couple of months this year before COVID hit in March. Um, so my the nature of my research deals with um, with a healthcare setting. So the first few months before I actually start the research was to apply for an ethics application. The ethics application would provide me the go signal whether the research is fit for the research site, if I'm if I'm using the proper data gathering instruments, those kinds of things. And then COVID-19 happened. So everything on the ethics application has had to be revised because I'm using a paper survey. And as we all know, COVID-19 would restrict um, physical contact between people. Right. And I'm going to, I want to get into that a bit more, but I, before we kind of go there, I want to talk to you about um, moving your ethics um, forward with Alberta Health Services, because I can share that I, I attempted to do something with Alberta Health Services and I was not successful. So I, I wanted to understand, how did you make that happen? It was a very long process, actually. Um, even before we start, because our COM 900, the capstone course starts on the winter term. Um, but prior to that, I think early November or October, I've already been doing the process of the ethics application. So I had a lead time to prepare the ethics application before I submitted it, uh, before I actually got approved by the winter time. That's amazing. And um, and one of the reasons I really wanted to talk with you is I, I you have such exceptional planning skills and I, I wanted to hear your story. So I... Um, <laughs> I mistakenly applied for the ethics process in in March, um, of course, as everything was blowing up. And then it was around June that I got an email back from Alberta Health Services saying, how can we help you with your research? And I thought, at this point, I've already done my data collection and I need to keep moving. So I I wound up dropping the AHS component um, from my research project. Um, now, Jane, I want to move over to you and talk with you a bit about what was going on uh, with you back in January and February. So as I understand it, you were enrolled in one of the elective courses in January. Can you tell us a bit about that and then maybe segue into um, what you were doing with your research project, if anything, at that time? Uh, certainly, Katrina. I was taking a social media and new media communications uh, elective. It was my very last course, and uh, I, it was going quite well. I, I was enjoying it. Um, it's a survey course, applications of um, new media and how they work in today's communication environment. So it was very practical, very hands-on, and I found some ways to make that work for um, parts of my job. Um, 
though things were very going quite smoothly actually in in March though you know the when things started uh, going I, I don't know just starting to fall apart with with COVID um, I I had to hit a pause at the time because work was a little bit crazy and uh, it, it was very it was a very challenging time so I just stopped that course for a couple of weeks and uh, picked it up again once I settled into a work from home uh, routine. So um, I finished, I was able to finish it on time, but I did not work on my uh, capstone research at that point. There was just, there were too many things going on. Oh, I totally, I believe it, Jane. And I, I definitely want to talk with you more about that as well. And and also share with you that I, I wasn't doing a lot in terms of my research in January and February. I was actually, you know, having a bit of fun. I was going to a couple of conferences. I was um, so fortunate uh, to be able to get to New York. There is a AI and ethics uh, conference that was taking place there that I was able to attend. So that was fantastic. I met lots of great people. And then in February, we have our student conference in Banff called the Rundle Summit. And so um, hot off the heels of coming back from New York, I was in Banff and I was um making contact with people there and, and hearing about their research and just meeting people, all the while thinking, you know, I have plenty of time to submit my ethics application and move things forward with my project. Um, but then March uh, rolled around and I was actually making season three of this podcast um, in a studio with people like I've always done. And um, I had just hit send on my research ethics application, hoping everything would be approved. And then, of course, everything in the world changed. So um, the pandemic has impacted us in, in so many different ways. And I, I want to get a sense of, you know, bo both from a personal standpoint, but also from a research standpoint, um, how you coped with things and, you know, also what it meant for your research. So, Cedric, I'm going to start with you and, and maybe you could share a bit about personally, what was going on for you as you were dealing with this pandemic? And then tell us a bit more about what this meant in terms of your paper-based survey and the changes that you had to make. Absolutely. Um, so I, I just want to uh, go back actually with the, the with the topic that we were discussing earlier. I was very, um, I was very lucky to have spoke with um, Dr. Katie Campbell because during the time that we had uh, the research symposium uh, during the second uh, Spring Institute, um, she was the one who actually advised me to apply for the ethics application right away. Um, so yeah, as, as soon as I got that information, I've worked on the research proposal during the fall semester, all the while accomplishing the review, the literature review that we're supposed to submit for the advanced seminar course. I, I like uh, I was very happy like I, I was very confident enough because I've planned ahead of time that I know that I will I am very um, optimistic to get approved of the ethics application by December so that it's gonna be perfect for January which is the start of our capstone project so between the month of January to February um, a couple of revisions, of course, and then by March, uh, no, actually last week of February until the early week of March, early weeks of March, I was starting for the data collection, and then the pandemic happened. So 
it got a little busy, especially with the organization that I was working with. Um, all of the research, not just my research, of course, but also the other clinical trials with the org partnered with the organizations had to be stopped or at least create some protocols or measures in order to address the pandemic. Because so apart, well, in my research, um, I initially wanted to pause for a second and then and probably just continue the research in this coming fall semester. Um, I was lucky enough to to had some research guidelines with AHS research office so that I can still proceed with the research. But definitely, it really took a while, two months and a half or three months as a break because of the pandemic. Wow. So Cedric, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, you were thinking about like maybe stopping the research and, and then picking it up in the fall? You, you considered um, uh, extending the program? in order to do that yeah yeah i actually consider doing that because apart from uh you know um the not i was targeting a specific number of participants for my data gathering i also wanted to get more more data because that that would mean more analysis for me an in-depth analysis for me but uh, at the same time um what really was challenging was the uncertainty. What mm -hmm. if this thing won't disappear in the next fall as well? So it was a good idea to keep going in hindsight, given where things are at um, as we record this towards the end of August. Yeah, for sure. And actually, um, I remember one of the discussions that, that we had during the spring term, um, we're in... Uh, we're not supposed to um, save the world, I would say, and we had to start. We had to start somewhere, and little by little, um, build with your research. Yeah, I I fully remember that discussion as well because I I had the same. I had similar challenges um, in a slightly different way, and and it's frustrating when things aren't going according to plan, especially for people who like to plan. And I, I think you and I, Cedric, are, are definitely uh, that type of person. I, I'm going to shift over to you, Jane. And you made a, a comment earlier about um, working from home and, and having to adjust and needing to pause your studies. Can you share with us a bit more about what was going on uh, for you as you made that adjustment? Oh, I, I, I don't think there was anything particularly special. I work in a, a, a library, an academic library, as as came up in the introduction. And um, there was just a general sense among students that uh, they, they just were not sure how their studies were going to play out, uh, whether they'd be working at home or they'd be studying from home or coming into the university. There was a lot of uncertainty about uh, public health concerns, um, whether the library should continue to be open. All the public libraries in the city had closed. So there was just a just a general uncertainty. At the same time, you know, students still needed help. So, uh, you know, I became very busy remotely on the phone, email, and uh, by chat reference. And 
Um, as I say, it was a transition to work from home. I'm a people person, uh, so uh, which is why I got into librarianship. Uh, I love working with students, and it's wonderful to uh, be able to, you know, work with them face to face, show them research and study skills, help them find the material that they need. Um, and working alone in isolation at home sort of uh, separated me from from that. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just um, and I, you know what uh, people talk now about the new normal. This does not. This still doesn't feel normal to me. I'm learning new skills, so that's the upside. And um, just finding new ways of uh, providing service to students and faculty. For sure. There's nothing normal. There's nothing normal about what we're going through right now. And um, I think for me, I, I've had a few moments in this pandemic where I've, I've had to mentally make peace with the fact that um, I can put these arbitrary deadlines out there, like everything will be normal in September or everything will be normal by X date. And I've had to um, update my timeline, first of all, and, and kind of just wrap my head around, you know, what's been within my control to move forward and and what isn't and and I think that's you know something that um, I've learned over the past um, couple of years being in school I, I think it, it actually helped prepare me in some ways for for this is just kind of moving forward the aspects of your work um, that you have a bit more control over so I, I'm wondering about um, staying focused you know we're as we're going through especially the early days of the pandemic and and there was just so much uncertainty that was going on what um, what did you dig into in order to stay focused and keep moving your project forward? And maybe I'll start with you, Cedric. Yeah, I, I was actually I agree with um Jay, with with what Jane said earlier, um especially organizing during the pandemic. It was really a it was really um an experience, and I felt like. Well, I, I'm still feeling, actually, I'm still feeling like I had to live one day at a time. and But at the same time, I had to make sure that there's going to be a task that I had to accomplish. Um, the nature of the research has to be uh, continuously be done, the, especially the writing part. Um, what, was what was challenging is that the uncertainty of you know, thinking maybe I could have done this or maybe the, the analysis would have been better if I was able to achieve the data collection that I was trying to achieve. But uh, yeah, but at the same time, the, the three month break, I the two and a half months break that I had, writing break that I had, I literally lost my focus, especially that everything is so noisy um the feeling of wanting to go home during the summer um the feeling of maybe i should stop doing the research and then go back to it by the fall semester those kinds of things were like the one of well those kinds of things are the reasons why i lost my focus not not to mention, of course, the transitions from working from home as well, working with um, uh, freelance projects. So everything has to be adjusted. Right. So, so Cedric, what brought you back? Like what, you know, it sounds like you're kind of on the brink of like 
deciding to to just stop um, for a good chunk of time before getting back into it. But like, how did you kind of um, get yourself recentered and refocused? What motivated me to to go back and to look ahead? Uh, I, I mean, to focus on the the research is that I, I'm really I'm really looking forward to conduct further case studies because my research was a case study of of a particular rating setting and i was just talking with uh with my manager in alberta health services and we were planning okay for now uh let's wrap up what we've started with this first case study and then let's plan for further case study and then do some protocols that would address the pandemic measures because currently there are the, uh, there are current projects with Alberta Health Services that are contactless, so it it would really help them to evaluate to reevaluate their measures that they're currently doing. Wow! So it was make it was the idea of making a difference for them. That's interesting. Um, Jane, I'm I'm going to shift over to you and ask you a bit uh, about. How you stayed focused? Uh, you mentioned pausing that one online course while you recentered yourself and, and into work from home mode, but you picked it up and you also started your research. So tell us a bit more about that. Well, uh, you just summarized it. <laughs> <laughs> so expand on what you were going through, Jane. <laughs> oh, what was I going through? Well, it was uh, you know I realized uh, you know I live alone and uh, you know I realized how much I actually depend on my job to, uh, um, you know, bring me into, um, you know, kind of a social context with others, you know, I, and I just found, you know, 24 seven being by myself, very difficult, uh, you know, during those two weeks. But what, what, what brought me back was, um, you know, I had to stop and, uh, think about the perspective, uh, the, the bigger perspective, the bigger picture. Why was I doing these things? You know, um, it's hard to do reference work by correspondence or video chat. But at the same time, I really like the students. And if I just focused on, you know, there really are people at the other end of this, you know, this chat line or this phone call or the email, there really are people, uh, students that are needing the materials that they're asking me to help them with. Uh, exams were coming up, uh, term papers were coming due. So, you know, it, it just helped to remember, well, I'm not seeing the students and I'm not really interacting with them, but I, um, you know, they still need me. And that's, that's what I focused on. You know, there is a meaning to what I was doing. That, that's so great, Jane. And, and you, both of you have, both your stories are, are really um, indicative of, of this idea that, you know, if we can kind of pull back and see the bigger picture, the bigger purpose of what we're doing and connect with people and not feel so alone. And, and both of you kind of, I think, found your way in, in serving others uh, to a certain degree. And that's a great segue into this next question, um, which is really about our, our MACT community. Um, and our, our cohort, um, who I appreciate so much. Um, and we, we've talked before on the show about this MACT Facebook Messenger group that we have and, and what it's meant to us um, in terms of being a lifeline for support and information. And I'm just wondering, what's been the role um, of our cohort overall 
for you during uh, this part of your academic journey? You use the term lifeline, Katrina, and I would have to say that that's what it felt like for me as well. I don't know if I could have gotten through the program without, you know, the example and, you know, the willingness to share and collaborate uh, that sort of characterized our, our group. I think there was 17 of us in total, and we all seemed to to get along and seemed to uh, work well together. And, you know, we were there for each other through, um, well, there's a little uh, Facebook messenger group that we had. And, you know, there were a few times when I was stuck with something and there was always somebody <laughs> who was willing to help me uh, work through, you know, a, a difficulty that I was having with the reading or, you know, with a piece of technology that I was finding difficult to make work. Um, you know, and as I reflect on all those times, you know, there was maybe maybe eight, nine times in the last two years where I had to reach out and say, listen, I, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get this assignment done unless somebody helps me figure this one little question out. And there was always someone who was willing to do that. So, you know, I, even though we are all separated and we finished our course, our, uh, our in-person courses, I think we're going to be connected for a long time afterwards. I have a strong sense of that. I don't know if you think that way too, Katrina and Cedric, but, you know, I, I feel like you're, you're my, you know, lifelong friends now. Well, I'll be interested to hear what Cedric has to say about that and, and about the cohort overall. Yeah, actually, that was a really good thing Jane mentioned about the network that our cohort is just keeping intact with. Um, what's amazing about our cohort is that, you know, aside from um, helping each other with one assignment to another, uh, with with our personal lives, of course, it gets so busy that we might uh, forget something. Some infer some um, really important information might uh, might not be we we won't be able to get reminded of of an information. So the the way that we the way that we connect each other was really valuable. And, uh, and at, the th at, at the same time, I think there's um, emotional connection, if that makes sense. Because at some point, especially on the early early months of starting the Capstone project, at least, where we where almost everyone had finished the courses, I personally got lost along the way. I was thinking. Um, Am I alone with this struggle? Am I actually just that one person who's struggling doing things? Um, aside from the fact that it's comforting to hear that, oh yeah, um, other colleagues in my cohort are also experiencing the same thing. It's comforting. And then at the same time, we are going beyond the struggles altogether and we're we're doing it all together so it was it was really valuable yeah i totally agree and i i always felt like i could post a message um on facebook and get a response whether that was just you know a friendly um reminder that i wasn't alone and and that was just such an important 
piece of the journey overall. And and I agree, Cedric, it became even more important as we all went our separate ways and um, started working on our own research projects. And and that's where I want to go next in terms of um, talking about, you know, the big difference between going from coursework um, into a research project is that we work one-on-one with a supervisor and that person really becomes our guide for the project and they tell us what's working, what's not working. And it's such a different process than, than doing a course where you have everyone studying the same topic and there are particular assignments and deadlines to meet. So this process is much less structured and it can often feel really lonely, uh, as you just shared, Cedric. So I want to talk about your experiences in working with your supervisor um, in particular. And, and maybe I'll start with you, Cedric, if you want to share a bit about how you chose your supervisor and what that process looked like for you. So, yeah, um, my research supervisor is Dr. Gordon Gao, which is the um, uh, academic director of uh, MACT program. Um, I would really uh, like to commend his, of course, number one patience, I would say, with all of the of, of all of what we've been through during the research. And then at the same time, what I really liked about the way he supervises is, um, okay, he's gonna give you specific deadlines, but uh, he is also very lenient about um, adjusting the de- adjusting the timelines because of course personal matters might go along the way and things that beyond our control will happen just like the COVID-19 um but yeah the reason why I chose Dr. Gao as my supervisor is um because I really like things planned and if I don't see any deadlines on my calendar, there's a slight chance of me not doing a specific task. So it was a process, especially with uh, with COVID-19, because I was struggling between, okay, there's a deadline coming. Should I do this or should I pause for a while? But, you know, slowly I was able to grasp the idea that, okay, uh, we're going to move forward no matter how um have um uh, have deep sighs and think about the next step and always don't forget to connect with your supervisor because i think what was really important with choosing the supervisor is uh he should be he or she should be someone you can you can speak with in terms of okay how how am I able to do this? Or do you have an, an idea wherein I should strategize a different kind of thing? Yeah, that, that's all really good advice. What about you, Jane? Um, where do things stand with you in terms of your research and, and selecting a supervisor? Can you tell us a bit about your process? Oh, sure. I, I have a supervisor. Great. Who's your supervisor? Dr. Robert McMahon. Yeah, he's very good. And... You know, it wasn't such an elaborate process for me. My um, advisor is uh, Dr. Gao, a very nice man, as Cedric has just said. But um, he was unable to uh, work with my timeline. I'm going into the fall and possibly even into the winter term. So um, I uh, I just asked Dr. McMahon if he 
could work with my timeline? And he said he could. I had taken a course with him, as had we all. And I found him to be a very, you know, a very encouraging and very thoughtful um, supervisor. So Cedric, tell me what was the best thing about working with your supervisor? And what was something that you perhaps might want to change? Well, one of the best things that I've had with my supervisor is having that flexible timeline, but at the same time, making sure that I kept track of the I kept track of the tasks needed to be done. Um, I really cannot think of actually any something that I would have wished to change, but uh, you know, with the COVID nineteen, um, it would have been actually a better opportunity to be able to connect with um, other supervisors or researchers doing the same kind of field that I'm doing because digital signage as a platform is pretty new as, 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 as a platform, as a tool for communications. And there's nothing much about it in a healthcare context. Or maybe it was just me who, was, who, wasn't, who wasn't lucky enough, I guess, to meet people. But, but yeah. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a pretty new and, and very unique field. I, I'm wondering, Cedric, what impact um, did Dr. Gao, um, as your supervisor, have on your project, if any? Did Was he um, shaping your project in any way? Oh, one of the, one of the things that actually, uh, one of the things that he actually helped me to solidify is the framework. Which kinds of theories should I look at? How am I going to operationalize my research based on the context of a case study in Alberta Health Services? Um, he, uh, my supervisor has a really great background in terms of theories about uh, digital communications and social uh, social communications as well. So his perspectives were definitely valuable in terms of creating the framework and the design of my research. Great. And Jane, what's it been like working with Dr. McMahon so far? Oh, he's he's just wonderful. Um, one of the things that I wanted, I made a little note that I wanted to mention. Uh, <laughs> I find uh, being supervised a bit of a challenge just, just because of my age, I think. <laughs> and because I'm a, sort of a, a senior person in my field and um, I've, I've I have come to really appreciate uh, the experience of being a student in that, you know, my, my supervisor challenges me, you know, like, what about this? What about that? And at first I was a bit taken aback, um, but I, I've come to really appreciate it. And um, I think it's made for a better, um, a better project. I, Dr. McMahon certainly was instrumental in my um narrowing my focus, the, the scope of my research started to get extremely broad. And, uh, you know, he sort of pushed back a little bit and said, you know, maybe we should be doing a, a smaller scale, uh, a smaller number of questions, because, you know, we want to contribute to, to the field at this, at this point. We don't want to, you know, rewrite everything ever <laughs> written in this field. So I, I, I feel, you know, that the challenge has been very good for me. And 
as I say, I think it's making for a better project. It's certainly more manageable. That is such good advice. And I, I think we've all heard save it for the PhD at least once uh, in this program. So <laughs> I know I've heard it many times. Pulling back uh, to the big picture and, and thinking about why you came into this program and, and what you wanted to get out of it. Um, did you get what you came for? Was the program what you expected? Or were there any surprises, good or bad, uh, that you want to share as you reflect on the past two years? And, and Cedric, I'll start with you. So yeah, um, the MAC program is actually the setup of the program was really new to me because back home, um, I wasn't able to experience anything about blended delivery, wherein students will be allowed to take online courses and then at the same time, students are gonna are meeting uh, in person for a couple of weeks. So the the program the MAC program. I personally liked it, especially the part where we're going to meet during the Spring Institute because, you know, um, it was the transition from in-person to online classes could be challenging, especially with my case that um, that's new to me. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, meeting during the Spring Institute was really valuable in terms of uh speaking with your cohort, oh, how did you do this during the past semester and how was the online delivery for you? Um, I was, well, honestly, I was expecting more of internships with which I think I was a bit vocal with, with, with the cohort and with the department as well. But I think that's just because the program wasn't really meant for that kind of setup. Um, but for sure, grad school is really challenging Amazing. And, and Jane, what about yourself? What are, are some of your reflections on the program as you're nearing the end of it? I'm so glad that I did this program. I, my, my goals were not to change careers. I'm, I'm a career uh, academic librarian, but uh, the nature of my field has changed a great deal. There's more and more technology involved in my um, exchanges with students. And there's a lot of new media that uh, conveys research. Uh, you know, not just between me and the students, but, uh, you know, among faculty as well. The world of research and how it's managed and controlled and new information is disseminated uh, is very much now uh, a, a communications um, framework. So uh, I had to really, you know, I, I felt that I wanted to up my game. I'm not ready to retire, not not by a long shot, but I, I wanted to up my game at work. Uh, I'm a science specialist, engineering and math primarily, and I, I just wanted to be able to, um, you know, go with the new information and the new research environment and become more uh, nimble within it so that I could provide service as quickly as possible and uh, participate maybe a little bit further upstream uh, on the uh, research consortium as well. That all makes sense. I've learned so much talking with you about what librarians really do versus <laughs> what we, we think they do, which are totally different things. Um, and I, I think for me, you know, I, I came into this program as a media person. I had spent 10 years uh, running a radio station and I, I'm leaving in a very different space and I'm about to embark on uh on a journey of starting a company, uh, doing some consulting work um, centered around my research topic. And 
I had no idea that that would be where I'm at today. So um, this program has really shaped my my career path in some ways that I, I hadn't expected at all. And I want to say thank you to both of you um, for being here in this virtual space and sharing your stories. Thank you so much. Thank you, Katrina. Thank you so much, Katrina, for having us. I love catching up with Cedric and Jane. I haven't seen them for quite a while, since spring 2019 to be exact. That was the last time our cohort was together in person. Since then, we've been studying online and working independently on our research. Throughout my program, I always had this nagging feeling of being behind. I was never that person who knew exactly what they wanted to research. In any group, there is always that one person who seems to be way ahead of the game. The person that knows exactly what they want to do. The person who is super organized, gets their work in ahead of time. The person you wish you could be more like. Well, in my program, I feel that person was Cedric. And so when Cedric shared that he felt like stopping his research, like taking a major break and possibly extending his time in Canada, I was shocked. I had no idea. And it reminded me that we don't have any idea what's really going on with people. We see the external veneer, the person who has it all together, or so we think. But really, we're all human, and we're all dealing with life's uncertainties. I think this pandemic has made that abundantly clear. Lastly, I didn't mention my own supervisor, but he's been fantastic. I wound up hanging out with a group of philosophers last fall, and so I chose someone with a philosophy background, whose research interests aligned with mine, and who I knew would add interesting insights and perspectives to my research. And though I think he would agree, our work styles are quite different. It's been a fun journey. And yes, I made it. I handed in my project just before we recorded this interview. It feels good to be done, but also a little sad. I'll miss this group. I hope we really can stay in touch. That's our show today. I hope you enjoyed it. A huge thanks to our sponsor, Athabasca University, for generously supporting the show. You can find out more about their many educational offerings at athabascau.ca. If you like the show, please give us a rating. It helps other people connect to us. You can reach me at backtoschoolagain.ca or at School Again Pod on all the usual social channels. I'd love to hear your story. Back to School Again was recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional homelands of First Nations and Métis people. Special thanks to our talented technical producer, Corey Stroder. Back to School Again is proud to be affiliated with the Alberta Podcast Network. Find out more at albertapodcastnetwork.com. See you next time.